I'm Alex. I'm Harrison. And this is Dream a Little Deeper, a critical retrospective on the Walt Disney Animation Studios films. And today, we're continuing our discussion of the package films with Melody Time and the adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad. So we already covered the history for these two films in our last episode. If you haven't listened to them yet, we highly recommend you do. But for those of you who did listen but don't remember, here's a Cliff Notes version as a refresher. By the time the Second World War ends, the Walt Disney Company is struggling financially. Because of this, many feature-length film projects had to be condensed and shortened to fit a low budget. The company then decides to package these shorts together into a film to make it longer than an hour. Uh, Fun and Fancy Free was re-released on television multiple times throughout the years, which is probably why more of our guests remembered that film and remembered it vividly. Meanwhile, Make Mine Music and Melody Time did not get re-released until the late 1990s and early 2000s, and more guests were unfamiliar with them. So now, we pick up this episode right where we left off with our discussion of Melody Time. Melody Time. No. No. What was the last one? Rings a bell. Don't remember it. Oh, no. I'm not. I've not heard of that one. I've heard of Melody Time. I don't know if I've seen it. See, now I'm like doubting myself. My my 75% answer. Melody Time sounds familiar. That sounds familiar, but I can't think of like what it is. I've heard of Melody Time, but I haven't watched it. Melody Time, I remember very like more than the other two. I feel like I have heard of that one. I think I th- I've definitely heard of it. I think I've seen it. Somehow I get they might be like more vignettes than like Fantasia, than like a straight narrative. But if if I have, it was like in an old film classroom. Is it kind of like a, I think it's like a sing-along type of thing or some sort of like much more musically based thing. Ooh, maybe, I mean that one, now you're making me think there's more than <laughs> one music movie. I might just be saying that because that's what the title sounds like, but I feel like I've definitely heard of it. Did that have the uh, Mr. Mr. Toad? Melody Time's the one where they have like, they go through like a house and like they're playing like instruments, right? Like hard for me to like pin down which of the movies that I've actually seen versus which of the shorts that I've seen. But I guess I haven't seen Melody Time. I feel like I'm being like segued into some sort of trick because I've never heard of any of those. So now we're going to move on to the third package film or the third film that we're calling a package film. And that's Melody Time. Harrison did his homework this time and has notes. You say that like I don't come prepared. I'm kidding. I'm just, I'm kidding. It's more so like you had a lot of thoughts with Melody Time. Yeah, I was, because there's a lot more in this one. And I remember like I was in and out the last time we watched this when for the last discussion. Mm -hmm. So I felt like I came underprepared. It was just kind of like, I don't like this. I can't articulate why. Um, I will say there's a point at the end of um, there's a point in the blame it on the Samba section of my notes where I just wrote, Oh no, do I like melody time actually? What? And then the first note in the Roy Rogers Pecos bill section is never mind, Fuck this. <laughs> but there was a moment. There was you, a moment where you thought where I, that maybe you did. There was a moment where I was going to, th- I was wondering if I was 51% positive on it, you know? So like, let's, let's start there. What are the parts that made you like what what parts did you like? So the visual like actual animation of this all is 
way is real good. Like it's visually way more interesting than either of the last two we talked about. Mm-hmm. Like just the that opening winter time sequence. I'm blanking on what it's called, winter but like the winter time st- winter wonderland stuff is really pretty, really stylistic. Uh, I love the way they draw those two horses and like really emphasize the the curvature as opposed to like drawing it photorealistically. Mm. Um, the aesthetics of bubble boogie are great. The art design of Johnny Appleseed is great. Like just kind of across the board, the art direction is great. Well, I had a similar experience watching it. I didn't actually write down, Oh wait, do I actually like melody time? But like after we watched the, we did the first viewing make my music. I feel like was higher than melody time. But now yeah. I'm like, no, 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 because I was th- because I think you bring up a lot of good points about the style, like mm-hmm. the animation style, and just because I've been on the whole like pacing kick this episode, they tie all the little shorts tie together a lot better in melody time, mm-hmm. and I like the consistent transition between the two, especially when you look at something like fan- Fun and Fancy Free, where yeah. it was like you know like the little bits in between the main shorts were just so weak but with this it's simple the paintbrush comes in it does a little like boop 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 paints a slate and then you go on it's nothing it there's not like a skit within the transition um before we get into the specific sections of it i want to talk about i just want to say this off the top like the uh, the credit song where they're like melody time melody time it's a fun time gonna sing some songs yada yada yada. it feels like someone is on stage just vamping for time (laughs) it it really feels like they're stalling it's like all right we got a melody time it's a fun time like big big wendy williams on the mass singer vibes Well, I was was really confused because I totally did not remember that little bit with the masks on the curtain and then the curtain. I did not remember that. I just thought it opened with like Winter Wonderland slate, like totally forgot about everything that happened before then. So, yeah, yes, like unmemorable vamping is one way to put it. Right. Amazing. So um, individual shorts, what do you want to which one do you want to start with? I mean, my notes don't really solidify into stuff I can talk about until Johnny Appleseed. So if you have anything we need to say about uh, Winter Winter Wonderland or uh, Bumble Boogie, now would be the time to do it. Bumble Boogie is my favorite, I think. I just think it's fun. It's cute. A little beat. I think the way that the animation and the music Mm -hmm. pair together works so well um, and works to, like, build the suspense and everything. It's just a fun it's and it's short. It's nothing too long. It just is what it is, and it does it well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Winter Wonderland looked pretty. Um, basically, I just wrote like a little note about ah yes, the typical heteronormative relationship where it falls apart because a woman can't express her needs and wants, and then shared trauma brings it back together. Yes. So, um, but that like other than that, that's really all I had about those two. Yeah. Like, Bumble Boogie's fun. Winter Wonderland is not particularly memorable outside of the the style and the way they draw the stuff. Like, well, it's, I think it's the whatever. style is just so now standardized for winter and 
Christmas in general, because I still think that I have seen that exact like opening bit where they're riding through the sleigh and Mm -hmm. you know not necessarily the ice skating but just them riding through the sleigh and then they go through the bridge i have seen that but it's been put to jingle bells i don't know where i don't know if it was disney or someone else but i have i feel like i have seen that exact scene before just not with that song johnny appleseed though um uh, once again, I get to express my distaste for American cultural folk heroes. Um, at least I get it with Johnny Appleseed. Like, there's something there as opposed to a big man play baseball. Um, <laughs> but it's Casey Harrison. It's uh, Casey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, like, Johnny Appleseed sucks. <laughs> This st- I'm not a, I'm not not into this story at all. Why? Uh, so like it, it it's direct it's framed as directly engaging with like Manifest Destiny, which if you aren't American, the Manifest Destiny being the idea that Amer- the United States of America has a god-given destiny to westward expansion regardless of what people may or may not already be living there. And Johnny Appleseed is basically like a rationalization of like it, it is one like how did we get apples out across this country? Like how does how is this plant across the whole thing? It's but a also fable. like yeah. It, yeah, it's a fable, but it's like it is this dude who wants to go west, but doesn't feel like he can actually, you know, sufficiently colonize in the traditional sense through masculine force and uh, violence to dominate the landscape in like the the traditional settler settler colonial way. So he does it by planting trees, which ultimately does the same thing. He is still shaping the, the natural landscape to like his vision, his God ordained vision because his guardian angel comes down and he's like, yeah, you can go do this. It's chill. We vibe. It's good. Mm-hmm. Um, which gave like, and then the way he's like vibing with his guardian angel and the animals gave me big uh, St. Francis of Assisi vibes. Like the, the saint in the Christian slash Catholic faith uh, that like, he's like super chill with all the animals and is like, be, be chill y'all do good shit. Um, the fact that like he's he like, he's uh, at one point the film specifically says he's good friends to all, but specifically best friends to the pioneers, which ultimately like positions Johnny Appleseed as like sympathetic to the imperial and settler colonial uh, cause. Uh. And then it said he's he's at one point he's saying he's spreading three things, uh, love, faith and the apple tree, which like, again, settler colonial, but also to a degree like cultural imperialism spreading religion and the the like vaguely Christian faith that he's following. And then when he dies, the idea that like clouds are apple, the, the clouds are apple blossoms in heaven where he's continuing to plant and uh, spread this 
ultimate ultimately like this American ideal of what n- the natural is mm-hmm. and basically colonizing the afterlife. America, like through this, America is trying to, in a sense, attempt to colonize the afterlife by being like, nah, clouds are still Johnny Appleseed. Well, and I think it just shows how like in America, the concept of afterlife is so is construed by Christian ideals and a Christian mm-hmm. ideology, right? It's like, for the most part, like that's like the pervading, right. like in 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 mainstream, any anything really. All I could really think about was the um, the David Bowie song "I'm Afraid of Americans" and like the outro the outro line that he's just repeating over and over again is "God is an American." And like that, just that kind of idea that like the afterlife is the Christian afterlife is the dominion of Americans because like Johnny Appleseed went and colonized, like quote unquote colonized by planting apple trees in heaven. And that's what, like what the clouds are. And again, the final visual of the clouds blending into the apple blossoms over the, 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 the landscape. Super pretty. Very well, pretty. I'm just, I'm just sitting here kind of like, this is sus. Not, not, <laughs> not real, not really down for this. Uh, great visual, not down with, uh, post, not down with, uh, colonizing the grave. Yeah. Yeah. And it like, yeah, because I picked up on a lot of like the, the Christian themes as well. Um, like the, kind of like how you mentioned the whole conversation he has with his guardian angel is like, you know, when, just because I've sat in on a lot of like Christian sermons, you know, pastors are always like, you never are ready, you know? to serve God's word, right? You are never going to feel ready. You just have to take what you have, take the gifts that you have, and you just go with it, right? And that's literally mm-hmm. like that whole scene where Johnny's like, I can't go, I can't go be a pioneer. I I, I just plant apple seeds. Like, <laughs> what? But then it's like yeah. that whole like, no, you are ready. You can go, you can do that. One thing I thought was interesting, um, and I thought it was, in- and especially with like your whole you know, pioneer to Christianity comparison that you made is how they set up Johnny specifically Mm -hmm. and especially what it says about gender and masculinity. So they're like in the opening, they're like, you have Paul Bunyan's axe. You have this man's hammer. You have Davy Crockett's rifle. And then you have Johnny Appleseed's apple bag, right? So immediately Johnny is positioned as a different type of masculinity where instead of asserting force and everything, he nurtures, he grows, you know, he takes Mm -hmm. on a more, what I would say traditionally feminine role, you know, just because everything he does is about growth and about that. But that almost like when taken in with what you just said (laughs) makes his prospect even like alarming almost even more so mm-hmm. it's like there's no because it's positioned as something that's at first you think oh this is something like it seems like a harmless way to expand westward right oh he's just growing apples he's making friends with the animals like all this kind of stuff but then like you said you literally see how him planting apple trees shapes the land to the mm-hmm. white man's intentions right and um, yeah he plants the apples the white people pioneers come and yada 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 and then they have a happy thanksgiving where they don't butcher all the native americans okay they called it a jubilee 
but no it's it's terrible and like the issue with that is like it's not historically accurate so the quote from the narrator is quote it tickled him to see how the fruits of his labors brought all kinds of folks together and made them good neighbors jump cut to native americans and the pioneers dancing a square dance together which for one like is a white man dance like that's not a dance that's you know that native americans dance so already we see how like what you mentioned before this cultural imperialism like they get Mm -hmm. together as long as the native americans adhere to the customs and practices of the pioneers right but also just at the end of the day this is false this is not how westward expansion worked at all like historically especially when you we take in this whole theme of christianity that we're talking about right like Historically, Christianity, when it came to westward expansion, gave pioneers the credence and the ability to, like, basically gave them the purpose to, like, kick the Native Americans out. And also, like, in another way, put them into, like, those schools where they had to learn how to be white people. And, mm-hmm. like, you know, like, the, where the kids would go. Like, and those were Christian schools. Like, those were religiously um, oriented schools, right? So, to see... A movie where Christianity is seen as the thing that brings Native Americans and pioneers together when historically that is absolutely not the case like it's it's not it's not good all right anything else on Johnny Appleseed not specifically I've got some thoughts that are better applicable to the Pecos Bill section so yeah. I'll, I'll revisit I'll, I'll I'll bring Johnny up again later but got it, got it. Uh, first 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 we got to talk about a little toot <laughs> <sighs> It's just a knockoff Pedro the Plane. Like, <laughs> it's cute. It okay. It is cute because you have a cute little tugboat who just bops around and shakes his butt, and he's all like, "Hoo hoo hoo." I really wasn't interested until I was like, "Oh wait, they're like exiling this little boat who is a literal it- child." <laughs> yeah. It's the funniest shit watching him get carted away by police boats. It's like it's the funniest thing. They take him 12 miles outside into the middle of the ocean and just drop him. I'm like, right. all right, this kid's going to sink. Right. Like, rip this kid, I guess. I mean, like, he's a stinker, but, like, I don't think that's what his punishment should have been. I mean, like, I no. guess in the end, like, it all worked out. But, like, that's not how... That's not how this works. And they take him past his dad, who is now just hauling trash it's very strange it has like a real chaotic energy to it yeah in a way that like reminds me a lot of what we're gonna see coming out of alice in wonderland Mm. and and like ichabod and mr toad which we'll talk about in a bit like very very like it feels like proto that energy it's nowhere near as chaotic as that uh as mr as the wind of the willow section but like it feels like they're just kind of starting to gear up for how to handle that kind of kineticism and that energy because like we haven't quite seen anything like that in a Disney movie yet. Mm -hmm. No. Yeah, you're right. Like it's tonally, it's very different. Um, Mm -hmm. And I will say I did like the part where all the, the like little, I don't know what they're called. The things that were already in the water and the storms pulling up and they just like all The, the buoys, the buoys. And they're like, they go, Bad boy, bad boy, shame, shame. 
and with like with the, the, with, the with the water hands. Oh, it was so cool. I was so freaked cool. out. I got like a little like. Ugh. Yeah, it's it's spooky. It's spooky. It's a little bit spooky. It's good yeah. though. It's a good spooky. Yeah, like the shorts fine. There's some good, but it's kind of boring ultimately. Yep. Like I don't, I don't like. There's nothing more here. Like, hey, maybe don't, maybe don't exile children for not knowing what they're supposed to do. So you mentioned before that like tree slaps. Trees is great. I like trees a lot. It's interesting because I think when we look back to Make Mine Music. Nothing in Make Mine Music is nearly as good as this. It's not good, but like the thing that it made me remind of, that it reminded me of was Without You. Because it's that whole sequence where they try to do like the different colors out in nature and like the changing of like the seasons Mm -hmm. and nature change and stuff. But the thing is, I didn't remember Without You. I remembered trees at the end of the day. Yeah, because like the the issue with the segments in Make My Music is that they're not going for it. They're just they're all kind of safe. Which like when you look at the like the history makes sense at the end. Like right. you know, they're just trying to make something to make money at this point. But but also same for Melody Time, right? Melody well, Time is also But the time Melody Time came out, they had the revenue from more films. Right. Yeah, I guess. But like, it's it's that thing of like, ultimately, we have to take production into account, but production is not going to change how I feel about the like production influences my opinion. But at the end of the day, it's not going to make or break my opinion. Uh, So like, I don't know. Trees is great because it really feels like they're going for it. They're like flexing with this animation, like the way the snow lands on this tree and they like zoom. They're doing that slow zoom in and the snow is melting and it turns into the silhouette of the tree itself, which then turns into the tree. And then they do the pull out to the end. And it's it's just it's such a flex. It comes out of nowhere in the middle of melody time, which like nothing else in this feels nearly as like confident mm. you know mm. everything else feel everything else in this does feel pretty safe and like stylistic yes but it's still like we need to just kind of keep the lights on trees is like okay we need to kind of go back to the, the 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 i'm gonna confuse i'm gonna mess up our terms formalism well is this formalism? what are you specific trees yeah. Yeah. No, I'd say Trace is formalism. Yeah. I think yeah. it's formalism, but I think with a little bit of Fantasia in that, like, right, the transitions between everything aren't necessarily logical. You uh-huh. know, they take a little more. It's a little more creative with how they get from point A to point B. Whereas with right. formalism, it's like that assumption of point A to mm-hmm. point B to point C. Right. Right. And then also just the weird religious vibe. Like it really does feel like. Um, and I'll, I'll I'll talk a little bit more about this. Uh, I'll talk a little. I'll explain the literary periods a little bit more when we get to Alice in Wonderland. But mm-hmm. like, this feels very romantic romanticism, very yes. romantic era. Yes. Like, like I am. They like someone saw this tree and experienced a moment of just <laughs> sublimation. Just someone <laughs> saw this tree and just. Like Percy Shelling, <laughs> Percy Shelley looking upon that mountain and yep. losing his mind. Yep, that is someone literally on, what this. Someone is. looked at this tree and is like, "Yo, <laughs> is this what the world can be? <laughs> this tree is perfection." So, like, there's this religious reverence of this tree, which, like, kind of culminates in this slow pull, like, slow zoom out at the end of it, where it 
like the sunbeams are up behind it and then they basically give the tree a halo uh yeah silhouetted against the night sky and like as it's pulling out the details fade out a bit more and it it looks like a crucifix like it looks like a cross so it's like drawing compare like literally drawing the religious uh reverential connections between this tree and objects of worship so tree is romanticism tree is romanticism tree is percy shelley and i don't really like the romantics i'm much more victorian in term in terms of things again i will discuss the distinction between the two in the else wonderland episode yeah um but no trees is romanticism and maybe romanticism is okay (laughs) i was gonna the only like i didn't pick up on any of that um but because um sleeping beauty was one of my favorite uh films as a kid there's a lot of like precursor sleeping beauty in this as well um the sparkles and like the glittery bits that you see at the very beginning towards the bottom of the screen um reminds me a lot of the three fairies and the magic spells that they cast on aurora or briar rose whatever her name is at that point when she's a baby um Mm -hmm. the music specifically especially the way the vocalists sound which you know obviously is just part of like the old Mm -hmm. sound system at the time, but just like the harmonies specifically and the type of music that we hear in trees. Also just the style of the trees, like, and we'll talk about this in the sleeping beauty episode, but it has a very distinct style compared to a lot of it's a lot of the movies that came before it. And in trees, everything is very long. It's tall. It's almost angular at times. Um, Yeah. You know, it kind of has that tapestry look that we see in sleeping beauty. Mm-hmm. Um, and also the way that they animate the beam of light in the darkness one looks cool, but that's also very sleeping beauty as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of like trees is the old mill of sleeping beauty. Listen, just because you <laughs> tweeted about the old mill doesn't mean you need to talk about the old mill, Alex. No, no, no. I'm just, no, that's like actually <laughs> what I wrote down before the no, tweet was sent. Like, I'm just saying like animators work on like I think it was something that we've noted, animators, animators work on styles and techniques and shorts, right? You know, and like they get we they prototype stuff that gets seen later. Like all of the, like the dan- the the dance sequence in um, Johnny Appleseed is reminiscent of the dancing in Robin Hood. I was gonna say um, Martin's and the Coys, but yeah, oh, Robin Hood too, later yeah. on. But also it shows up again. It kind of shows up again in um, the Sleepy Hollow segment of Ichabod and Mr. Toad. Mm-hmm. And then there's Blame It on the Samba, which feels like a cut Good Neighbor segment. That's what I was thinking. Because remember in the Good Neighbor segment when we both were like, I felt like the Araquan was in this in Caballeros yeah. more. And it's like, oh, because I got Watercolors of Brazil, bits of the Three Caballeros, and Blame It on the Samba all mixed up in my head <laughs> honestly better movie that honest, it would be a more cohesive movie yeah that would make a lot more sense than the three that we are seeing right now yeah we were in the in the in the good neighbor episode we talk about like how the two segments of the th- first two segments of the three caviars just feel kind of weird and confused mm-hmm. like you just start with a way to fix it. You start with the entertainment section on the birds. So we introduce the Araquan. Araquan into Blame It on the Samba. Yep. 
to get Donald and Jose in there, and then we go from there into Bahia. And also just with the amount that we now see Jose Carioca in Walt Disney films, it kind of mm-hmm. sets up the fact that like the assumption that he's going to appear a lot more just in Disney like media in general, like TV shows, movies, shorts in general. But he doesn't come back until Who Framed Roger Rabbit in 88. Yeah, Jose Carioca, like, they, it really feels like they wanted it to be, they really wanted him to be something to yeah. them. And I guess just, like, the absolute, the the box office failure of Three Caballeros doesn't exactly help. Yeah. Like, if that had succeeded and they had done the Cuban one, I can see, like, them, I could see Jose sticking around, but, yeah. I don't know. I still like Jose. Jose's fun. So are we ready for Pecos Bill? Uh, fuck Pecos Bill. Like, Let's... fuck Roy Rogers. Fuck Pecos Bill. I'm not here for any of this. It's fucking dog shit American propaganda. It's so bad. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you gotta go in. You gotta, you gotta qualify this. So a, 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 a big issue I have... Well, first off, like, I find it very funny that a lot of... It, I got... So this is how my thought process worked. Mm-hmm. It, the the actual first off, if this is supposed to be out in the desert, why are all these? Why do all these men have two little children? This doesn't make sense. Send these children home. Um, but then I'm thinking here. I'm like, I I fun like I wrote down. I don't understand humanity's fixation on humans raised by other animals. Mm-hmm. Um, because Pecos Bill is supposedly ra- supposedly raised by coyotes. So I'm like, is it is it a chance for humans to flex on other animals and be like, we're so special, ha ha ha, we could still dominate the world even when we're raised by by wolves? I'm like, well, that makes sense because like Romulus and Remus, the founders, the supposed founders of Rome, were both raised by wolves and then they murdered each other and founded Rome, turning it in the greatest empire ever. And I was thinking of Rome, and then that got me thinking about how similar their mythology is to Greek mythology. I'm like, well, and it's by this time. Roy Rogers is doing his whole Pecos Bill, um, like shot out all the stars and left one, turned into a Lone Star State, like made the painted, made the painted desert, like carved the Rio Grande, Rio Grande, like stole a storm from California and turned it into the Gulf of Mexico. And I'm just sitting here, like thinking about it, and like, why does this kind of creation mythology rub me wrong when? stuff like Greek mythology and Norse mythology don't. Yeah. And I sat there puzzling it out. And I think what it comes down to is for American folklore like this, one, we know that like by this time, science exists, right? Like easily distributed science of like, we have answers to why things are the way they are. Whereas, like, the, not to say the Greeks and Romans didn't, but they had, like, it, they didn't exactly have seismoscopes and understand fully what tectonic plates were and, like, shifting continents. I'll get, I see you giving me a look. We'll get no, where no, I'm no, going. I'm, no, no, no. I'm just following along. Like, okay. I'm just nodding because I'm interested so, in what you're saying. Yeah. So, like, we, as Am- Americans in general, like, especially by... Um, especially by like 1948, we have a sense of why the world is the way it is mm-hmm. from like a, a, an empirical standpoint. But on top of that, in terms of like 
let I'm going to use Greek mythology for my comparison basis here, but also like Norse and Egyptian mythology fall into this category as well, and other other cultures, creation mythos is fond of this as well because like in the Greek in the Greek pantheon you have like divine intervention and supernatural deities ultimately causing I- interacting with humans to ultimately cause these shifts in the geography of the world in the physical reality that people inhabit so like there might be people involved in the story but it's ultimately the gods and like the titans who are responsible for creating the world as is whereas this dude who fell off a wagon in texas in what we understand to be texas made the gulf of mexico Mm. so i'm sitting here i'm thinking about it i'm like why like this the ridiculousness of this shouldn't bug me Mm -hmm. but i think what bugs me is that it play it it stands to reinforce the concept the the traditional conception of the american dream the idea that you can like you can come from nothing and go on to like literally move mountains and that that is an attainable goal for you. The American i the American identity and the American dream, which are like the root of American individualism, rugged individualism, are like these stories have to be rooted in that because that is the that is the founding mythos of America. Not necessarily that Pecos Bill made the Gulf of Mexico, but the ultimate myth of America is that you can be anything if you just try hard enough. And like, even if you come from nothing, so Pecos Bill literally falls out of a wagon and is raised by coyotes, starts from literally nothing and becomes so special that he can lasso a lasso, a storm cloud, bring it from California to Texas and create the Gulf of Mexico with it. It's, it's the idea of like, wow, if Pecos Bill can do that, I can do anything, mm-hmm. which like is, a, which is a myth yeah so it's not necessarily because at the end of the day they're all fables they're all mm-hmm. mythology is a way in a way mm-hmm. but whereas with these more i don't want to call them i guess you could say ancient cultures like would norse fall into that as well or yeah okay yeah so like with more ancient cultures there's a divine intervention there is a higher power that is not mortal and it's yeah. that intervention that causes these huge things to happen. Whereas right. here, because it's America, it is a it is this idea that a random human mortal, without any help really, just by his own volition, has that yeah. ability to reach the yeah. point of being a deity, of being a god. And I agree, because like, I think one of the notes I wrote down when I was seeing everything that Pecos Bill would do, I was like... Why is he stomping around and like he ha- he's a god in this like he like acts as a god would, mm-hmm. but for me I was like but he's a man, right? So this just seems weird. So I think the way that you put it makes a lot of sense. And that's why coyotes howl at the moon. I'm like, I did think that was kind of an anticlimactic like resolution. Yeah. Like so that is so all that happened and that is why coyotes howl at the moon. I was like, oh really? Like that's the lesson yeah. we're learning from all this. And <laughs> also and also just remember coyotes didn't howl at the moon until like the mid nineteen like mid eighteen hundreds and only in America. 
Right. Because like it, it also like it situates the American, the United, the like the the American experience at the center of almost at the center of creation, mm. whereas like the Greek pantheon is like, yeah, these are forces outside of our control. Oh, well. And they didn't really, it wasn't like a national nationalistic conception of why the world works the way it does. Mm -hmm. Because like the, the, the concept of the nation state as we know now didn't really exist back then. Uh, it, it existed in some form because you had like the city states of Athens and Sparta, but there was no like single Greek mind and like agreed upon version of this tale, you know? Yeah. So that's my, that's my, and like Johnny Appleseed also falls into that because he's just a dude. And then like, there's a little bit of divine intervention there because like God told him to go colonize basically. Right. Which is like, which again, but like that also centers the American experience in this myth making because God told the American, God told a white man in America, it's okay to go colonize America. Like we're here, it's fine. Mm -hmm. Which then allows for the rationalization of something like Pecos Bill. Well done. <laughs> that was good. Honestly, I was more so just upset about two things. One, the fact that you have this badass woman who can like wrangle a fish and ride it in the water, and her demise is the fact that she decided to play into like the beauty market. To be yeah. a pretty woman for her man, and then that's ultimately why she like that was why that was she her wanted, demise. She, she wanted to have a fat ass, and it bounced her to the moon. I'm just like, it just made me sad. Also, when they're when they're given the introduction to this whole story at the like the the preamble, the live action bit mm. where the boy is like, I don't want to hear about women. <laughs> I want to hear about I want to hear about Widowmaker, and I want to hear about Pecos Bill, who I didn't know about until five minutes ago. I don't need no women's in my story. Fuck that. That's the shittiest kid. You know. That's, also, you know that's Bobby Driscoll, right? Oh my god. And then the girl is the girl from the Puppet Party in Phone and Fancy Free. Yeah. No, I, I figured that much yeah, out. Yeah. Um. But also, the <laughs> I am like 85% sure that Bobby Driscoll, when he's like, are there Indians in this story? The subtitle says he says Indian. Oh no, he said Indians. Yup. He did not. He said the, he said the slur. He said the slur word. Yeah. I'm just like, great. Well, speaking of the native Americans in Pecos bill, I love how I don't love, I say that sarcastically. The narrator dude's like, I could throw two to three Indians in there. Um, there's yeah. 10 in that scene and that scene's atrocious. So the exact quote is a tribe of painted Indians did a war dance. That's what they, that's how they called them. And then Bill came in, shot them up and they ran away. And that's what created the painted desert. I will say that is the most accurate representation of pioneer native yep. American relations that we've seen so far. <laughs> Except that when, except that the paint on the hills was Native American blood, which is not good because no, no it's not their blood; it's the paint that they were slapping no, on one I know. another. Oh, okay. I'm saying in real life when the when the when the white people came through, they did indeed paint the hills, but not with paint. Yes, and it's just the way that they like, 
you cut to the these Native Americans who are slapping paint on one another. It's dripping off of them. So there's just like it's it shows that like it it starts this myth that paint that they put on their bodies is just something they throw on with no significance or meaning when really it's deeply embedded in their culture, right? So like not cool guys. That's insensitive. been paying attention to what all our guests have had to say about the package films, you'll notice that a lot of people have little to no recollection of them. Even Morgan, who has seen pretty much every Disney movie, had a hard time remembering what exactly happened in Melody Time. And she has a pretty interesting theory as to why. Melody Time, that one, that, okay. I think that like a lot of these, it's like hard for me to like pin down which of the movies that I've actually seen versus which of the shorts that I've seen. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Because I think that like a lot of these, like I've seen the shorts from like watching like House of Mouse. Like, I don't know if you guys have ever watched that. It was like really popular. Oh my gosh, this makes so much. Yeah, because I had that when I was watching Melody Time, I was like, I've seen these, I feel like, but I don't remember watching this movie. Mm -hmm. So that would make a lot of sense if they reran them in House of Mouse. Yeah, because, like, I mean, in House of Mouth, like, they would just play, like, all the shorts from, like, all all of the movies and even just, like, the normal shorts. And I think that, like, a lot of times when I'm like, oh, that's from that? Oh, I've seen that. Mm-hmm. And then I'm, I watch the movie and I'm like, oh, no, I haven't seen that, but I've seen this one clip. Yeah. Or I've seen these, like, four clips from it. Or, like, I've seen it segmented. You know, because, like, I've seen like, the Kicketsville and I've seen um, the Johnny Appleseed one, but, like, I can't, like, in my head think of, like, what is Melody Time? And then also, I get, like, all of the musical shorts confused because I, like, think of, like, Silly Symphony and of, like, Mickey um, conducting, like, the orchestra and, like, when it gets, like, washed away by the tornado. Can't think of the names of them at all. They're just a bunch of Disney moments in my head that are there they're playing yeah have no idea the context or what they're called so the adventures of ichabod and mr toad good movie in terms of like because i know the biggest thing that i mentioned about fun and fancy free or yelled about rather was that we have these two shorts that have nothing in common and they've just been thrown together in a framing device that doesn't even work well, in this, the framing device works really well, and they're both stories about these self-centered, manipulative, also, though, a little likable protagonists. Um, so it just works really well. Like, just, like, they're two good stories. Mm-hmm. I love how they're so, the characters are so well done, and the narrative moves with their actions, right? Like, they mm-hmm. move the story. Um and like they're about two different things but the tone of both just fit really well like again didn't have to really like vent about it in my head i was was watching it so it worked well yeah both of these are a vibe it rules they're so good they're very fun i still unwind in the willows i still deeply i i deeply deeply relate to badger i just yeah. i sympathize with him because mr toad <laughs> Like, it's 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 one of those things. I'm so conflicted because I don't like him. I do Toad not fucking like sucks. Mr. Toad. Toad sucks. Toad is a menace to society. He's a, and it's one of those things where I'm just sitting there and I'm like, dude, like you kind of deserve to get put in prison. I know you didn't actually like steal the car or whatever, but like you still kind of deserve this because like, 
Uh-huh. You're running up all these debts and McBadger is just trying so hard to keep up with your tomfoolery and he's just so overworked and so overwhelmed. But like next thing you know, you know, oh, you destroyed a hen house and he's like, oh, I got to fix that problem and put out that fire. But then, oh, no, you bought a carriage and you've destroyed another hen house and a mailbox. Oh, no, you're into cars now. Oh, no, you're into planes. <laughs> Stop it. Sit down. Just read a book, please. Oh, please. My Ugh. He's just like, oh. it's one of the, I don't like him, but it's still like. He's so charming. What about him is so charming? I don't know. He's got this weird affability to him that's just kind of like, you're a dumb motherfucker, but you're like really pleasant to listen to. I don't know. Like, it's just the way he, he's so earnest in everything he does. He never really lies about anything. He's just kind of like. Yeah, I, I, I did this. Like, I didn't steal the car. I bought it. I didn't know the car was stolen. There, It's charming, but at the same time, I'm like, okay, but do better. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I like you do better. I don't even know if I'm at the I like you part. I'm just at, like, the yeah. just do better. And yeah, give Badger me, me, a break. Me, if, if, if by some weird reason... Uh, I knew somebody in my life that was like a Mr. Toad. I don't think I would be friends with them, but it's one of those things of like on screen. I like you, you are, have, you have good screen presence and I will listen to what you have to say for 20 minutes. After that, I want nothing to do with you. Toad having an ancestral home sucks. He is like Mr. Wickham. <laughs> Honestly, uh, for all you Jane Austen fans, uh... <laughs> I just killed Alex. <laughs> I'm just trying to decide if I agree or not because it's the the the, the, the comparison's pretty good, but like there's uh. he's more hyperactive than Wickham. Like he's not a Regency era fuck up, but like you get the sense that like he's he's he would he would absolutely be a disgrace upon his house, you know. But I feel like he's more honest than Wickham. Yeah. But, oh, like, no. he, he does have Wickham vibes. I will give you that. Yeah. He does have Wickham uh, vibes. Yeah, I guess he's more Collins. Mr. Collins, anyways. Oh, my God. Which, like, the fact that he ends up being just a menace to society is bad enough. But the fact that he, like, is specifically from, like, the landed elite, like, he has an ancestral home and is blowing through all of his money, mm-hmm. makes him, like, not just a unbecoming of British society, but of British upper class society. Mm-hmm. Like, he is an embarrassment to his class more than anything, like, on top of everything else, which is why it's weird. Like, it's he is a good person, but he is still an embarrassment. Yeah. Um, we were watching this, and uh, when he, the car mania takes hold of him, my girlfriend started laughing and just goes, the best part of the short is Mr. Toad's car noises. <laughs> it's deeply funny to me that for the crime of unintentionally selling a car he didn't know was stolen. They put him in the fucking tower of London. <laughs> also, it, like in a the newspapers generally reserved. Yeah. Like it would say like God, the, a long sentence. <laughs> Toad yeah. serves his long like, sentence. The shot, like the shot of him getting or the picture of, in the paper of him getting arrested by the policeman, just holding a gun in this frock's face. Is top tier. It's very funny. Like this whole, I, it, this whole movie is just fun, you know. And like, 
it's it's just kind of a British staple, and it's just good. It's fun time. Um, also, that's not how deeds work. Just in general, the deed is has always is still in Mister Toad's name. So just ha- just um, just Mister Winky having the deed isn't gonna do anything, right. you know? Yeah. Uh, and and the um. The cha- the like chase sequence inside Toad Hall where they're all trying to get the the piece of paper the deed really feels like the first complicated action sequence we've seen out of Disney Animation Studios. Like mm. there have there's been actiony stuff before this, but not like with this many moving pieces and complexity as far as I can remember. Yeah, well, because you have all those weasels too, right? Mm-hmm. It's like it's not even like it's just Winky and then the gang of four. It's then they have like this huge horde of weasels who are you also have to keep track of. Yeah, this really does feel like they were they were like, okay, can we do Alice in Wonderland? We need to we need to be sure. Right. So they did like this just to test it and see what they could do. And after this, the level of action and like their stuff just it keeps escalating. Mm hmm. Like, cause they become more and more, I, I, it feels like they become more and more comfortable with, um, action scenes after this because they proved in this and, um, Ichabod to a degree that, or rather Sleepy Hollow, that they can, they can handle this many moving pieces all at the same time. All right. Sleepy Hollow. Sleepy Hollow. Still delightful. Still delightful. Still delightful. Um, my stuff was mostly just about characters specifically i love having a protagonist like ichabod where like he's just so well developed as a character right like he just you know he he's like toad in that he has this weird charm to him even though he looks like a stork or like a crane rather ichabod crane right mm-hmm. and yet he is also so manipulative and it's really like it's fun to watch almost because like for the most part there's really no malice behind it it's just he wants food he just really really likes food and he's like well i guess in that situation he likes the food um you know i'm thinking about like how he chooses not to discipline a child and he's like that way i can go to your mom's house Mm-hmm. And she can make me dinner. And you're like, yeah, it's um, sleazy. It might not be a direct metaphor for sex stuff, but um, oh. like he ha- he definitely Ichabod most certainly has uh, a voracious appetites, you know, because mm. like it's not like he's he it, he's he's very selective with his uh, food choices and it's all coming from women, you know, is all of it coming from women? Pretty sure. Well, okay. Yeah. I guess it's assumed that all the women would make the food, but I'm just talking about like that scene in the party where he just has the spread and he just picks a bunch of stuff. Like, obviously it's assumed women would make it right. Mm -hmm. But I guess in that scene specifically, he's like trying to like woo Karina. Right. Yeah. Which, but yeah that's a whole thing in itself and i think it's interesting how it's interesting like her his attraction to her 
is very intertwined with his attraction to wealth and money, right? Right. And it kind of like it intertwines and dissolves from one to the other that you're just kind of like like you know the two are almost inseparable right like you you don't really get the sense that you're like like yes she's like pretty and he's like ooh, pretty wife but then he's like but also like think about like that huge barn and that all the land that i'd get and then like the dad would die and she's the only daughter so then i'd get all the money you know and that's always kind of what he ends on with those thoughts and reveries right is that he could be rich at the end of the day and then at the end you know when after he quote dies they're like he married specifically a rich widow, right? Karina being tied up in her in in the wealth is almost like deliberately linking women and commodities, like the idea of the commodification of women in mm. this kind of puritanical uh, society and viewpoint. Like it it doubles back to it 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 circles back around to the notion of like uh. I, I've mentioned it before, like the Madonna whore duality. Yeah. Um, but more explicitly, like the virgin whore complex, like women can either be completely pure or like entirely corrupt, not uh, not nowhere in between. Mm-hmm. So like the idea that like one, this is this is a theoretical framework. This is not what I believe. I want to stress that before I say this. The idea that like when a, once a man has used a woman, she has outlived her valuing, thus can be discarded, mm. which is how you, which is where you, like slut shaming springs from and everything. So like the the linking of, which also ties back to me being like, food as a stand-in for sex because like women are thus consumed and moved on from. Yeah. Um, because like you kind of you do kind of see it throughout. Uh, the whole Sleepy Hollow short, like the the most clear point of it, it point of for the bleh, most clear example of it is he's doing the piano lessons with three women. Yeah, he is then like when he first lays eyes on Karina at like the the picnic in the park, he is having a picnic with one of the women from the piano lesson, mm-hmm. and and it's just like your your yesterday's news. I don't need to worry about you anymore. She is now what I've got my sights on. Like it's, it's just the commodification of women to be like used and discarded, used and discarded. He might be using them for food right now in this telling of the story, but like it's, it's a small jump from food to, to, to sex stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I guess it's just cause he's painted as like a very non-sexual creature. Like, yes, he like wants the women, but at the same time, it's mm-hmm. not like you look at Brahm and you're like, uh, he probably rails women all the time, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. And whereas you see, like, Ichabod, and the two are paired as foils, right? And Ichabod appeals more to, like, the women's, like, emotional state and, like, the more mental state, right? Like, he does the activities mm-hmm. that the women want to do. And, like, I guess that's why, like, in my head, like, it, but I, I totally right. get what you're saying. You know, it's all about that specifically but mm-hmm. i do think that whole duality the whole duality is very present in this because um the whole dance sequence um made me think about that little bit we talked about with pinocchio on female desire and mm-hmm. how like Kar- like karina you know she plays both brahm and ichabod even though you know she wants to get with brahm at the end of the day like but ichabod's like the toy she plays with to make Brahm jealous. But like, you know, you know, like she's still like in her, it's not like 
whenever she's with Ichabod, like you can tell she's at, like doesn't want to be around him necessarily. She still like engages with him, right? But so you can't really tell who she desire like explicitly who she's desiring right. in that dance sequence, right? But then you have that compared to the other girl, coincidentally, the one that Ichabod was on the picnic with and then left. And how she very aggressively like dances with Brahm Brahm and like you know, like won't let go of him as soon as he like you know, starts dancing with her and even like starts kind of like fixating on him as soon as he like looks at her, right? Mm-hmm. And she's then the butt of the whole scene. You know, like it's her like outlandish dancing that makes him uncomfortable, makes him move around like crazy. It's her exuberant dancing that like takes him away from dancing with Karina sometimes. She's the one that gets thrown down the stairs, like, you know, or thrown into the closet at that one point. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's definitely, like, for women, like, showing that message of, like, it's not cool (laughs) to, like, be that obvious Mm -hmm. about, you know, who you're thirsting after at the end of the day. And then also, like... Because with um, the Martins and the Coys, we talked about how um, the two people, the feuding families, they are the two conventionally attractive people in the whole short. So obviously they get together, right? Mm-hmm. With Karina and Brahm, like that's really the indicator that lets the audience know like, oh, like at the end of the day, they're going to be the ones that get together because they're the two conventionally attractive characters. Whereas like Ichabod and the girl aren't. So that's mm-hmm. why Brahm is so aggressive about throwing them together because he's like, right? Like he's wanting yeah. to enforce that standard mm-hmm. that is assumed and that we have seen up until this point in yeah. media. Yeah. It's also absolutely worth saying Brahm is just Gaston 1.0. He even looks like Gaston. Like it's it's ridiculous. It was funny because in my notes I wrote down himbo question mark and then I was like, nah, he's no, he's too aggressive. Like. <laughs> he does not yeah yeah no too mean does not respect women well and like you don't get that like just from what the narrator says about him they say he's very heroic he's a good guy he gives the beer to the dogs like why wouldn't we love brahm right because you shouldn't give beer to dogs (laughs) yes but like that's some but like you see that and then you like you you put it together but like yeah still the narration is setting him up Mm -hmm. as he's the hero of the story and I think that's another thing I really like about this is that it's taking the it's taking Washington Irving's text and giving it more room to breathe by adding this visual component, by adding the acting like the the acting of these animated characters into it. And you really get this. You really get the sense of how like these three people are all pitting themselves against each yes. other. Yes. And how awful they all are. No. And like, that's what's great. Like no one's good. No, it's a great example of how like you can't always just fall like the criticism people fall back on of like adapted media is, oh, well, you know, the book is better. Like, no, not always. Like, I love that original short. I love the original like Sleepy Hollow story. Mm -hmm. But like, y'all, you can elevate a work. Yeah. Like the original is not always best. Stop being lazy. (laughs) And then, of course, like that end sequence just that end sequence rules as soon as they get to the party as soon as like uh brahm starts singing i'm like cool i'm in we're done we're good to that fucking empty brain no thoughts fun time fun time zone here we go right right 
just his song is so good Harrison and Jack were having a conversation about the different eras of Walt Disney animation when the movie The Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad came up. So when you say golden and silver age, what's your categorization there? What's your what's your periodization, um, rather? That's the term. Happily. Um, so, hi. Took it from Tumblr, like the best of things. Um, for me, golden age is Snow White Bambi. Um, the... Package wartime films are Salados Amigos to Ichabod and Mr. Toad, which, hi, back to aesthetics, Ichabod and Mr. Toad f- rules. It honks, Harrison. Um, Say more. D- d- we'll, we'll put the periodization um, stuff on hold. Say more about Ichabod and Mr. Toad. Oh, please. Um, which we call it. Mr. Toad is like Ichabod, or yeah, no, Mr. Toad comes first in the order. Um, Mr. Toad is like fun like just animal stories that like I, I suppose they did um, similar stuff with Bambi of telling like hi a story with animal leads but um that one has just like this weird English energy that like almost feels crossed with like Looney Tunes um, where it's uh, it, it's just a fun goofy adventure that definitely doesn't feel like up to the grandiose scale of a Walt Disney picture, but is like just really fun and delightful. And Ichabod and Mr. Toad is like something, if I'm ever a history teacher, I will throw on every Halloween. It is so deliciously like spooky and corny and weird and, um, whatchamacallit, the Headless Horseman, I think, just on look alone, should be a much more iconic Disney villain, but I'd really love it if those, like, kind of had a renaissance, because up there with Fantasia, that was a time when Disney was kind of allowed to get weird in more interesting ways than I think they do now, where it was more artist-driven than decided by committee which is how you get your home on the ranges. Oh, I forgot about this. Uh, um, I mean, it's it's part of a larger, or it's part of, a, I guess, a, um, two, uh, two short stories within a film, but um, the, uh, the Ichabod story within The Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad I, I still I try to watch that every um, like Halloween season because I think the animation is just so like wild um, and I remember watching it as a kid and being utterly terrified because I'm like oh my god there's a f- giant flaming uh, pumpkin skull like being thrown around that's pretty that's pretty So good. Also, it's very funny to me that like any time in any of these package films, uh, when there's not narration and like the characters start telling stories about like what happened in the past, they all lapse into verse. Yes, it's it's delightful. It's so good. Like even Cyril the horse in uh, Wind of the Willows does it when he's telling the story about them going to the bar and running into all the um, 
all the weasels and everything. Like he start like you could. It's not quite iambic pentameter, but like there's a cadence to everything he's doing, and like there's it's like the A B C B rhyme scheme. Uh, it's it's oh god, it's so good. It makes me feel happy. The more the, the more literary these shorts are, the better they are. I guess it's almost like me. you have a master's in literature. Yeah, almost. You know, <laughs> just maybe. Maybe I like books. Who's who's to say? <laughs> I honestly couldn't tell. Could not tell. So now that we've watched the first 11 and we're kind of at a natural stopping place right now in terms of everything, we kind of well, like... Well, we're at the end of a decade. We're not at a natural stopping point. We're not ending the show. We're at a natural... Well, st- uh, we're at a decade. But like a natural pot, like a natural like... It's a good time to sit down and regroup is what I'm trying to get at. So Harrison and I have been ranking these films on our own and we're going to share what our list is right now. You want to go first? Yeah, sure. Um, Starting at the very bottom, starting at number 11, fun and fancy free. This movie sucks. (laughs) Fuck this movie. (laughs) It's just boring. I hate these puppets. Like, yeah, Mickey and the Beanstalk is fine, but like it's got enough problems that we like, have loose. Like it's got problems, and then we all know how Alex feels about it. Um, number twelve is Saludos Amigos. Um, hmm. Yeah, I think that's still right. It it's better than it was last time, but man, it's hard to excuse the racism. <laughs> you can't excuse the racism. You just can't. It's bad. It's a bad time. Um. Number 11 is Make My Music. It was a lot easier to watch this time, but man, it's still just kind of a slog to get through. Um, even what, like, God, Casey at the Bat sucks so much. Uh, <laughs> number 10 is Melody Time. Way easier to get through this time. Does not, like, does just barely, barely makes it, like, past number number 10. Um, number 10, you mean number 8? Number eight. Yes, thank you. We are. I, I'm ranking these as I'm watching them, not as we're recording. So my my numbers are a bit off. Um, number seven, I think. Um, well, next up, the next best one is Three Caballeros. I still have a soft spot for this. I know it's not good. The race, like the racism, is bad. It will. It will. Th- when we're all said and done, this is going to be like a bottom ten Disney movie. Honestly. Um, but as of right now, it's like due to the virtue of where it is, like it's, it's, it's keeping in the single digits. Um, next is Snow White. Snow White's still boring. It's a technical Marvel and it's real pretty to look at. And there's some like cool stuff going on, but like, this is not top five material. It's not. So it's just barely outside of it. The only reason it's not lower uh, is because it's cohesive. It's a single story, and it's it's not super racist. Uh, number five is Ichabod, the Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad. We've gushed enough about it this episode. You know how we feel about both the shorts. They they both rip. Number four is Dumbo. Dumbo good. I would die for Dumbo. <laughs> Fuck capitalism. Go home. Uh, number four is Bambi. Bambi pretty. Bambi very pretty. <laughs> Um, number, number two is Pinocchio. Pinocchio just hits a lot of buttons for me, despite the, um, despite the really quite questionable subject matter it's dealing with and not dealing with particularly well. 
honestly. Right now, it's my number two just because of the, like, I find Pinocchio himself to be very charming. Jiminy is not as annoying as he could be, and it's very pretty to look at. And then if there was ever any doubt based (laughs) on the episode, um, Fantasia's my number one with a bullet. Just absolute barn burner. Barn burner, top to to bottom. No... I was going to say no bad things to say about this movie. No, the, the, the racism's bad. The racism and sexism in that movie is bad. Um, but I I think I, I just I cannot get over the artistry and just how many buttons this thing like hits for me. It's so good. So the movies I ranked lower, that part of the list looks similar to yours. Coming in at number 11. This goes without saying fun and fancy free. While I really liked our discussion on it, um, it's just, as t- I could not get through that movie. We struggled. At number 10, we've got Make Mine Music. Harrison, I have a confession to make. I didn't actually finish the second watch through of Make Mine Music. Alex, fuck you. I got through a Alex, bit. I sat through, Alex, I sat through that whole fucking thing again. If it because makes- <laughs> I have a sense of duty to this show. <laughs> if it makes you feel better, I stopped at the whale. I watched everything up to the whale. And you couldn't make it through the whale. Oh, my God. I just, I couldn't do it. Um, All right. Number nine, we have Saludos Amigos. Yeah. Just the transatlantic man narrating it. Just that didn't do it for me. I, it was better on the second watch through. I agree. However, yeah, just, I don't like the racism that comes with, like the educational tone of the movie and right above that at number eight is three caballeros uh i just it's fun at times but it's chaotic um i don't like the hybrid animation bits um i think it's it can be confusing while some bits look really good some bits don't it's just kind of all over the place um but i do like jose and Panchito to an extent more than I like the transatlantic man. So <laughs> it ranked higher. Plus that movie's got Sterling Holloway. Number seven. Yeah. Number seven. We have melody time. This was ranked lower the last time I was looking at my list. But when I think about the shorts specifically, there were more shorts. I think that I liked in melody time than I did in make my music. I also appreciate how Melody Time is more cohesive in its attempt to create a narrative out of seven shorts. Um, I think the pacing is a lot better. It flows better. Um, plus, Bumble Boogie is just delightful. At number six, I have Bambi. All in all, pretty but boring. <laughs> At number five, we have Snow White. Pretty but less boring. At number four, I have Fantasia. Okay. So it's in top five right now. It is in top five right now. We'll see if it stays. We'll see, see if what it hangs. Ha- we'll see what happens. Um, again, pretty, but still boring. Listen, if it cracks top 20 by the time we're all said and done, I will count this as a win. There you go. Uh, at number three, I've got The Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad. Again, I think that out of all the package films, it does the best at pairing 
different stories into one film. I think the way that they're connected is great. I love the shared thematics, the shame, the shared characterizations. Um, plus, they, I think, in terms of narrative, Disney really hits its stride in um, in how to tell a story, a compelling story. Um, with this and I think that is something that will carry over into the 50s at number two Dumbo I would die for Dumbo he's adorable <laughs> love him and at number one we got Pinocchio I think that it is a gorgeous film unlike Snow White the narrative the story it's telling is a lot more compelling I felt for the characters more I cared about the characters more um the flexes just can't go unnoticed. Um, and I think dab that, butter. that dab butter. And I think the themes that you can, that you pick up on in it, the underlying themes I think are, you know, just something that add another layer of depth um, to the film for me. And even though the dark aspects of it make me really uncomfortable and want to cry, um, they are elements that make me, that draw me to the movie as a whole, like the end mm-hmm. of the day. So that's my list. That's a good list. Thanks. I will. I listen. I will take Fantasia being top five at some at any point because now I can go on Twitter and just be like, uh, "Fantasia is a top five okay. Disney movie." But is it a top five Disney movie because yes. it has good things that? But think about everything that we've watched <laughs> up to this point. Dis- Fantasia is a top five Disney movie. Okay. Whatever. Whatever. <laughs> Well, that's all from us this week. You can find our show on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. And hey, if you like what you hear, be sure to leave us a review. Uh, five stars only, of course. You can find me on Twitter at Alex underscore Isaac. And you can find me at Play underscore Champion. You can also follow the show at Dream Deeper Pod on Twitter and Instagram. And you can write to us at dreamalittledeeperpod at gmail.com. Special thanks to all of our guests for taking the time to talk to us for this episode. You can follow Morgan at Modane on Instagram. You can find Jack on his blog, The Neon Caledonian. And you can find Dr. Justin Rollins on Twitter at J underscore O underscore Rollins. Thanks for listening. Join us next week as we talk about Cinderella. Until then, dream on, silly dreamers. <laughs>